0: We are still in the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to be here for a couple more weeks. Then we start our Christmas series called Chasing Hope. And the thing we're going to discover this Christmas is that, well, so many of us these days are chasing hope in so many different directions. The reality is hope has been chasing us, amen? Jesus Christ is pursuing us, and we will focus in on the message of the gospel this Christmas. And I pray that it will be encouraging to you and give life and hope and joy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're looking at the first five verses. Now, I know that last week, Pastor Joe did the, started out in verse 6. Uh, we did that just to make sure that everyone was paying attention. Uh, not really. It just worked out that way for us. Um, would you draw your attention to verse 1, and would you stand with me? Sorry to ask you to stand one more time, but would you stand with me in honor of God's word this morning? First Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, this is what the, the word of the Lord says to us this morning. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers, rather they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. When I was in junior high, my dad, who's actually here today, I didn't know he was coming, uh, so correct me if I get this wrong, we, we decided that it would be fun to build a radio control glider. And we had been down to somewhere down by the ocean where there was kind of a plateau and a cliff and some people were actually flying these things and it was amazing to see how, just how graceful they were as they just cut through uh, the, the incoming wind. Uh, it was it was beautiful and so we decided we would build one of these so we purchased the great plains gentle lady and we spent weeks and weeks working on this thing and as you can see it was just, it's balsa wood and tons of little pieces a lot of clamping a lot of gluing a lot of fine tuning and finally the, the day came when we wrapped the whole thing in i think it's called monacoat and that day came where we stood back from our work and we just went, wow, this thing is really incredible. That's not actually what we built. That looks a lot better than what we built. But we were proud just the same of our creation. You can imagine how I felt that first day when we went out to do the maiden flight of the gentle lady. And I had, my dad was on the controls and I had the privilege of tossing this thing up in the air. Imagine how excited I was as I let go of this thing. And then imagine how I felt as it went up oh, and straight down into the ground. <laughs> Never to fly again is <laughs> headed for the trash can. Isn't that the way life feels sometimes? It just feels like you strain and you strive to get somewhere, to build something, to, 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 have, to experience progress. You feel yourself beginning to take flight, and then there's something there, there's always something there that's trying to pull you right back down to the ground. The Bible tells us that the same thing is true when it comes to our relationship with God. Ever since the fall, the gravitational pull of human hearts, it drags us away from a good relationship with our maker and towards a destruction, destructive collision with, with self. It pulls us away from the good way that God designed us to live, and it leads us to a way of thinking and a way of living that's actually harmful. And, and even deadly. When humanity first decided to go its own way, it sent itself hurling downward, unable to pull itself up from that, that downward spiral toward death. But then our great hope came. Jesus came the only one who could level our wings and once again make us right with God. It's incredible. Maybe you've experienced that. I hope that you have had that experience of finding hope and joy and peace in Jesus Christ. If you haven't, let's talk later. But if you have placed your trust in Christ, then you also know that there's a force pulling you down, a force inside pulling you right back down. There's a gravitational pull tempting you to once again take your eyes off of God and turn them toward yourself. We said a few weeks ago that godliness is about keeping God the, the focal point, the access point. Of your life. When God is the center of your solar system, the various planets, the different aspects of your life, they maintain a proper orbit. But we also pointed out that godliness is a fight. It's a fight, isn't it? It's a desperate struggle to keep our eyes centered on God and live all out for his kingdom rather than to give in to that gravitational pull that draws us back toward self. And not only are we drawn back to the way things were, we're actually tempted to twist the good things that God has revealed to us into new ways to take our eyes off of him and to put them onto ourselves. Paul tells Timothy to urge his church, to resist the downward pull of these things. Christians need to defy gravity. Here in 1 Timothy 6, Paul points out two gravitational forces that often pull Christians down. Two ways that we need to defy gravity. The first one is this. Christians are to defy defy the urge to fight against authority respecting and submitting to authority. That's one of those things that we tend not to want to do. It's an urge that just comes naturally to us, and often it comes at a very early age, doesn't it? Those who are parents of three-year-olds, you know. You know. They don't want to submit to authority. And rather than give in to that natural impulse, Paul says that Christians, they're to honor their authorities. That's what he said in verse one here. Let all who were under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Now, bondservants, what are bondservants? Bondservants in the Greco-Roman world, they were essentially employees. Essentially employees, they were people who worked for wealthier masters. Now, there were those who entered into that service when they were taken captive as prisoners. They didn't have any choice. They were forced into that kind of work. But there were also those who became bond servants voluntarily. Some, it was because they needed to get out of debt. They had no other way to do it. Some, they just sold themselves into into this form of servanthood, this form of slavery, to make a living. To be a bond servant was actually to be better off than being a sort of day laborer in that day not only were they paid for the work that they did they were also given food they were given clothing they were given housing they were given protection and what's more they didn't have to wonder from day to day week to week do i have a job is there going to be work for me Am I going to have a means of taking care of myself and taking care of my family? Are we going to be able to survive? They didn't have to worry about that. A bondservant, being a bondservant wasn't necessarily a dishonorable thing. It wasn't necessarily a dishonorable position to have. One pastor points out that in Jewish homes, bondservants were to be considered as equal to the oldest son in the family. I was the oldest son. That's not a very bad position to have. It wasn't a perfect system. Were there some people who were abused, some people who were mistreated, some people who were taken advantage of? Absolutely, definitely, especially in in Gentile homes. It was supposedly a little bit better in in God-fearing Jewish homes. But there were clearly defined rights and protections in place for bondservants. That's the way the system worked, much like there are for employees today. They were an important part of the economy. The goal was not to oppress people here. The goal was for society to function. The system itself, it wasn't inherently evil. It's just the way society worked, and it it worked. Now, later on, Christians would rise up and they would fight against the abuses of this system in the Roman Empire. But here in First Timothy, Paul's goal is not to change the system. He wasn't trying to create some new type of utopia here on earth. He knew it was a fallen world. In the Roman Empire, it was full of problems, full of injustices, just like any kingdom that human beings establish because we're, we're sinful. What Paul wanted to do was teach those who were now members of the kingdom of God, that kingdom that has no boundaries, that stretches up past, beyond, far beyond our atmosphere. He wanted to teach those who are now a part of that kingdom, how they should live in a broken world. How do you live in a broken world? And that's because the gospel of Christ, first and foremost, it's not about social reform. It's about the salvation of humanity from the punishment of their sin. The restoration of their relationship with God and their relationship with each other and their new place in that eternal kingdom. Paul knew that those who were part of Christ's kingdom, now part of Christ's kingdom, that they were gonna experience a downward pull. Most likely, he saw evidence of that. He saw people being tempted to start rising up and resisting their authorities. Think about this. Having their eyes opened to the reality of their own sin, and now seeing just how lost they once were, and now seeing how lost other people are all around them, including authorities over them, they would have been tempted to to say, why should I listen to you? I've come to know the truth here. You don't even know the way the world works. You don't even acknowledge that God is the creator of this world. You don't, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Well, you don't fear the Lord, so you must not have any knowledge. You see the temptation that would have been there to disrespect earthly authorities. Who are they to tell me what to do? Who are they to tell me what to do? They don't have a clue as to why the world is as messed up as it is, they're still wandering around in darkness. They haven't been made right with God. I'm a child of the king. Come on. You know, you and I may not be bond servants, but we all have authorities over us, don't we? We all have authorities over us. And many of them are authorities who don't know Christ. Christ. They're still, according to Ephesians 2, they're still following the course of this world, right? Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. There's a lostness there. And the gravitational pull on us is to disrespect the authorities that are over us. And yet, we have to recognize that one of the most fundamental truths of anyone claiming that he or she knows God is that God's in control. He's sovereign. He's the one who gives authority and he's the one who takes it away. He's the one that props rulers up and he's the one that brings them down. Remember Daniel Daniel 2.20. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong all wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Now, if that's true, then when we dishonor authorities that are over us, we dishonor God. On the other hand, when we respect the authorities that are over us and when we submit to them, we demonstrate our trust in God. God, you were in control. You put this person here. I'm going to respect them. I'm going to honor you. I'm going I'm to recognize that you're in control. And just think about what it says to a watching world when we disrespect authorities that are over us. Think about what that says to our bosses as we do a poor job or as we mock them behind their back? What does that say about the work that God has done inside of us? Does the way that you work make God look good? Or does it show people that your faith in Christ is no different than one of those as-seen-on-TV products? They promise so much, oh, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. Oh, it's not the greatest thing ever. Is your faith like that? In the way you submit to authority, the Bible tells us that everything that we do is to be done to the glory of God. Every floor that you sweep, every word that you type, every burger that you flip, every client that you help should be done as if you were doing it for the king himself. Colossians 3.22 says this, bondservants servants, obey in everything those who who were your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing, not your masters, not your bosses, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ being a part of God's kingdom, that doesn't take away our obligation to respect our earthly authorities, does it? it? doesn't take it away. Christians are to defy the urge that we have inside to fight against authority. Now, someone might say, well, didn't Jesus come to abolish all that stuff? It doesn't say in Galatians 3.28 that there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ. It does say that. That's a good point. That definitely seems to be what bond servants were probably struggling with here in the church of Ephesus. Well, what does it mean? We're on, we're, 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 We're all equal here. Why should I have to listen to my master, my boss, if he or she and me are all one in Christ Jesus? If Christ is now the authority over both of us, if he's the big dog, he's the big cheese in charge up there, and we're all on level ground here, then shouldn't we be kind of like partners? But Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6.2, those who have believing masters... You're both believers. My boss and I, we both recognize that we're we're sinners. Saved by grace, we stand on level grand, ground at the foot of the cross. He says, "Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are believers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved." So Paul says no way. No way. You're a believer. Your boss is a believer. You're both Christians. Then you should be going the extra mile to respect and serve them. You see, being a Christian, it doesn't erase human relationships, doesn't take away the responsibility that we have to authorities over us. It may be true that the love of Christ, that, that, that Christ has for us, that's, that's equal, that's the same. And the same salvation is shared by us, and we've we both experienced his marvelous grace. But God is still a God of order, isn't he? Still a God of order. He created this world with orderly relationships. For it to function properly there's cause and effect every action has an equal and opposite reaction the darkness always surrenders to the light and the warmth of the morning sun branches and leaves they they bend to the force of the breeze don't they and children are still honored are still supposed to honor and obey their parents in the lord for this is right my dad and I, we stand on level ground at the foot of the cross before God. We both trust in Jesus. That's a great thing. But does that mean I can now disregard what he says? No, no, no. I listen to Christ. I don't listen to you. I, I didn't actually use that argument, but there were times when I was growing up where I thought that. Not a, good, not a good move. Are you struggling to respect and honor those in authority over you? Not always easy, is it? Not always easy especially during days where you look at authorities and you scratch your head and you just go, what are you thinking? This doesn't make any sense at all. In fact, it seems like you are bent on doing things that are hurting God's people. Why should I respect you? Why should I listen to you? Why should I honor you? There's a gravitational pull that says, you, I am the most important I don't need to listen. I don't need to serve. I don't need to honor if these people over me are not going to honor me. Got to earn trust. Got to earn my trust. Not going to honor the people who are dishonorable. But you see, if God is now the center of our lives, then we got to fight that urge, don't we? We have to fight the good fight As Paul tells Timothy, Christians are to defy the urge to fight against authority. But there's another downward pull that Paul directs our attention to here. 1 Timothy uh, 6, 1 through 5. Fundamental to the human experience is this tendency to turn just about anything and everything, even what we know, into an opportunity for personal gain. There's a gravitational pull that's moving us constantly to look to what can we get out of this? What's in it for me? I don't think I'm gonna do that unless there's something in it for me. From what we read in the text, that was apparently showing up in the church in Ephesus. People were using what they knew or what they claimed to know in their appearance of being godly, of being spiritual. I'm a Christian. God has changed me. Using that, for personal gain. Can you imagine? Can you imagine someone doing that? Have you ever encountered someone who did that? I have. Look again at what Paul writes. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit, understands nothing, He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. 1 Corinthians 8.1 rightly says, knowledge puffs up. It puffs up. Because there's something in our nature that when we start accumulating knowledge, it says, ooh, that knowledge sets you apart from all these, these other people. We do that in grade school, don't we? We get a report card, and if it's a good report card, I could go, <laughs> oh, well, I guess I'm a little better than all the rest of you people. We do it all the time. It's in our nature to use and even uh, to use and even manipulate what we learn into something that's going to satisfy our own greed and serve our self-centered cravings. Do you remember back when you were five and you were arguing uh, with your friends about dinosaurs? or about princesses, and you exerted your superior knowledge and you let everyone know just how smart you were. You knew exactly what happened in that TV show or in that movie, and they don't have a clue. I remember a a while back, I had an argument with with a good friend about a helicopter that was flying by. And he was saying he was dead set on the fact that that helicopter is a Cobra. I know that's a Cobra. I said you have no clue what you're talking about, dear. Don't even pretend that you know anything about helicopters, because I know. I know that's an AH AH-64 Apache attack helicopter. You know nothing, my friend. And the sad thing is I was like 30 years old when I, when I made that argument. So sad. You're thinking, Jared, you are the nerd of nerds, head full of useless knowledge. Wow. As I mentioned before in 1 Timothy, there, there, there were people in the church in Ephesus who were teaching things that just weren't true. Remember we said ideas matter? They too matter. But people were teaching things that weren't true, and they were twisting what was true, and they were leading people astray. Why would anyone do that? Well, Paul says right here, they're proud. They're proud. They wanted to make everyone else think that they had some type of superior knowledge, when in reality, Paul says, they didn't know anything. They also wanted to use the appearance of godliness, of being extra holy, extra righteous, or knowledgeable to make other people envious of them. Have you ever been tempted to do that? Not only that, they liked the fact that uh, they had the ability to create some sort of stir. Get people talking. Maybe even get people arguing with each other. Have you ever known someone like that? I have. Finally, Paul sums it all up by saying that they looked at their godliness, their appearance of being more in tune with God than the rest, as an opportunity for personal gain. What did they have to gain by saying that they were godly? Well, certainly attention. Maybe they gained followers. Nice to have a few people that listen to me, pay attention to what I say. Maybe even when I make a suggestion here or there, they go right out and they buy that book or they do this or do that. Maybe they gained respect. We all want respect, don't we? Maybe it was even money. If they, people started following them, maybe they could convince them uh, to give money to support the cause or the, the true church. That we're going to establish it. We're going we're gonna to break off from this thing. This was a good starting place for us, but you know what? They're things I know what's true here, and they're, they're a little off over here, so let's follow me. Now, you might be thinking, <laughs> Jared, there's no danger in me ever doing anything like that. <laughs> I'm not like one of those people, and you're probably right. You're probably right. The vast majority of us would probably never do something as sinister as what Paul is seeming to allude or refer to here in 1 Timothy. And yet, at the same time, we've got to recognize that none of us are beyond that gravitational pull that tempts us to use what we know or claim to know as an opportunity for some sort of personal gain. Christians, they're to defy, defy the urge to fight against authority, but they're also to fight against the urge to fight for personal gain. We gotta fight that. We need to remember that knowledge of God's truth, it's not a means to personal glory. It's not about propping ourselves up on some type of higher plateau than others, getting that respected position, or even as a way to put others that we may not especially like, to put them down push them down, keep them in their place. No, it's, it's to open our own eyes to our frailty, isn't it? Open our eyes to our inadequacy and our, our, our desperate need for rescue and to find all of that in the cross of Christ. It's for God's glory, not for my glory. It's for my salvation. Yeah, I need to be saved. I can't do it on my own. I'm a failure. I've fallen short of the glory of God. I'm destined for punishment without what Christ did for me. And it's also there to help equip me. Not so that I can get some high up position and have my own radio program or podcast or whatever it is. People write my own books and people are reading them. Oh, wow, that guy. Have you listened to, you listen to that guy? No, 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 no. So that we, you and I might be equipped to stoop down and humble ourselves as servants, like the greatest servant ever. Remember, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The people who were seeking Uh, personal gain in the Ephesian church, were acting spiritual, claiming to have some superior knowledge of God's truth. But in reality, they were just manipulating what was true for their own selfish purposes. You know, we need to be on the lookout for this beginning to happen in our own lives. If our knowledge of God's word, if that's producing anything in us other than what is bringing glory to God and good to others, then we better think twice about whether or not what we're learning is actually true and ask ourselves if we might be giving in to that same self-serving, self-promoting, gravitational pull that Christ came to save us from in the first place. Christians need to defy the urge to fight against authority and use godliness for personal gain. How do we do this? How do we fight this? It's not really complicated. We defy the gravitational pull of fallen human hearts by simply holding tightly to God's word. We're to fight gravity with truth. Remember verse three? If anyone teaches a different doctrine, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. There's a connection between our ability to keep God at the center of our lives and defy those urges that want to pull us downward. There's a connection between that and our knowledge and internalization and alignment with God's word. never never ceases to amaze me how often I encounter people, Christians, either behaving badly or confidently saying and believing things that are clearly not in line with God's word, or, or they're pointing fingers, condemning fingers at other Christians. It never ceases to amaze me when I, when I see this how it, it so reveals that they don't know their Bibles as well as they should. They've, they've listened to the podcast, they've read the book, they've been on the social media site and they're, list, they're following those memes and, and, and picking truth from here and there and they're compiling some type of worldview that just doesn't line up with this. And if they only knew this, and spent more time looking at this and getting this in their heads than all of those other voices out there that wouldn't have fallen, prey to those ideas. Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. It's so easy to let God's word go in one ear and come right out the next. We need to be more intentional than in that, don't we? We need to seek God's word and his truth as if it were hidden treasure and then prayerfully consider what God might want to do with it in ourselves. Is this correcting me? Is this offering some type of reproof? Is this helping align me with what is right living and righteousness? Is this, is this to refine me? Is this to equip me? Is this to change me? I don't approach God's word with the assumption that this is going to show me how wonderful I am and how much more right I can be than other people. No, 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 no. This is the mirror that I hold up that shows in high definition every single flaw and how beautiful and glorious Jesus Christ is. And it tells me You are not him, buddy. You need to pay more attention to this and you need to get on your knees and ask that the Holy Spirit does a transforming work inside of you. That's what we need to do. But you know, before we can even get there, we need to ask ourselves, are we really even getting enough of God's word in our heads in the first place? It doesn't happen by osmosis, does it? It doesn't happen when you take this thing and you slide it under your pillow and you put your head down at night. Or when you download the app on your phone. See, I got the Bible app. I got the Bible app. You never open it. It doesn't happen that way. That's not how it magically gets into our brains. Friends, there are those of us who need to spend a lot less time watching the news, scrolling through the social media, listening to the podcasts, reading the books. uh, trying to figure out what people think, and we need to spend a lot more time filling our heads with what God thinks and what he's revealed in his word. There are a lot of Christians today who wear that badge, I am a Christian, and yet this is not the thing that is guiding them. Christians are to defy gravity They take flight and live the way that God wants them to live as they're daily informed and transformed by God's holy word. Are you regularly saturating your mind in the timeless truths of scripture? That's a convicting question for me. This season of COVID, it's driven a lot of people crazy, hasn't it? You're probably one of them. I'm one of them. But it's also given a lot of us an opportunity to do some things that maybe we weren't able to to do before and didn't have time to do before. Uh, Bear with me for one second. I've been working on something, and this is my COVID creation here. And uh, don't get up too close because you're going to see all the flaws in this thing. But I know what you're probably thinking is you look at this, <laughs> there's another tragedy about to happen. And uh, you are probably right. Uh, that is unless, unless I have studied... And I, I have understand the laws of physics and balance and the complicated radio transmitter that, that, that I have synced with this thing. If I know all the ins and outs and what all the, all the switches are, and if I look and study the weather and know what, what kind of wind there can be for this thing to take flight, if, if I do all of that, then there may be a chance, there may be a slight chance that this thing could go up and come down safely is that going to happen probably not in the same way (laughs) now i'm probably just going to step on it in a minute in the same way friends we need the sound words of christ in our minds if we're going to resist if we're going to defy the gravitational pull that is so very real and we, we looked at two things this morning. There are so many more, aren't there? So many more. Christians, let's align ourselves with God's word. Let's be people. People who defy the urge to fight against authority, who defy the urge to fight for personal gain. Let's be devoted to knowing and aligning ourselves with what's true so that we might fight the good fight and live. The glory of God and the good of others. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Lord, we're lost without you. So lost. Dead, in fact, as Paul says in Ephesians 2. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, unable to even revive ourselves or even, even understand our deadness. And yet, you sent Christ as the perfect servant the perfect sacrifice to pay the debt that we owed on our behalf. Lord, that by trusting in him, we might be washed clean, we might be forgiven, our relationship with you restored and be set on a trajectory to soar. Lord, what an incredible thing it is to experience the newness of life that is in Christ, Lord. And yet, at the same time, we know that there are things that are pulling us down. There's something inside tempting us to go south, spiral out of control towards destruction. Lord, would you save us from that? It comes out in my own life all the time. I know it comes out in my brothers' and sisters' lives here as well, Lord. Lead us, Lord. Lead us in your truth. May we be transformed by the renewing of our minds with your word Lord that we might resist and stand firm defy those gravitational poles and represent Christ well Lord giving glory to you and good to others thank you Lord for this time that we've had in your word use it Lord to transform us into the people that you want us to be we pray in Christ's name and for his sake